Uh, we have a special guest speaker this morning. If, you, if you're not aware, uh, Charles Stock is the lead pastor and the apostolic leader of uh, Life Center Ministries in uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Ruth and I lived in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for uh, almost a decade, and we attended uh, uh, Charles Church, and then I ended up becoming an associate pastor at this church. And this church is a strategic church that is doing amazing things for the kingdom and changing the city. And they've actually watched their city change around them as they've pursued God in the kingdom of God. Um, Charles has an incredible anointing for joy, for healing, uh, a credible anointing for teaching and wisdom. And, um, and I'm so honored to have him at our house. He was at a, a, a conference out in California at Dr. Cheon's church. He speaks at a lot of different conferences. And uh, he called me up and said, you know, I'm going to be in California on my way back. You're not too far. Would you, could, could I swing by? And I said, sure. So uh, we're so honored and happy to have him. And uh, yeah, so Charles, why don't you come up? We'd love to pray for you. Yeah, why don't we honor... We love you, Charles. Thank you. Charles is, uh, for those of you who don't know, kind of like the structure of our church, um, uh, we have spiritual overseers that actually oversee me in case I ever get out of line. Uh, they can come in and our staff and our board can can call, call him. And call uh, Ruth. So actually, uh, Charles is one of the How's spiritual overseers for, for Ruth and I. But uh, Ruth, would you mind praying for Charles? before we get started. Sure. Why don't you stretch your hands out towards the Come on. Yeah, Jesus, we just say come. Yeah. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you. Flood this place with your presence. Thank you, God, for all who are here, that it's not on accident. And we just bless Charles, Lord, just fill him afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit. Anoint his lips to bring a powerful word today. I pray that it will pierce the hearts of those that are here. God, thank you for the transformation that happens as we join together. And so, God, we just pray for Charles, pray for the words to speak, the wisdom, the fire, everything, all of you, just to fall on him and be everything. Yes, God. So blessings to Charles, blessings to everyone here. Lord, thank you, God. It's all for you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's great to be back. I, I don't know how long... It's been since I was here. Uh, and Paul had asked me to come. He said, you should come like every few months, you know. So I can't do that, but I, I, I do love, I do love Paul and Ruth on a, a, a level of affection. And, uh, and I, it's great to be here my second time back. I'm, I'm impressed with seeing the growth and seeing good people here and some of the same people, some new people. And then uh, Sean and Renee Regal left uh, Pennsylvania a long time ago. So Alan Hawkins owes me. That's all I can say. Is, no, I'm teasing. I love Alan. He's, uh, he's been a, a long time and very fun friend. But I wasn't expecting him to snag Paul, so... However, I have fully forgiven him. In fact, I, I might have said this last time. I, I know Paul carries a healing gift, and he's an amazing 
traveling uh, speaker and a great strategist. God has given you a real builder here. And Ruth is just one of my favorite people on the whole planet. And uh, so that's true. And uh, I'm not just saying that, but the... Uh, so when Paul came back from, I think it was, in, was it a January or something? You came back and, and it's funny, while you were out there, I had this feeling like, hmm, I think Alan's gonna ask him something. I don't know why I thought that, but the, uh, and when he came back, he said, hey, could I meet? You know, it's kind of like, oh, here it comes, you know. No, I knew, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know, but I suspected what might happen, and he told me, and my brain was really sad because I had this whole plan, and, uh, but my heart was rejoicing, and I knew, and I, I said, Paul, it makes me sad just in my humanity, but my heart's leaping, and I know you have to do it, and of course, it's not just about him or about me, it's about God's purposes and God's assignment on this house and for this city and uh, I, you know, we don't understand the impact we have uh, it, because we're just living our lives, but we're not living our lives as normal humans. We're living our lives as um, creatures who've been born again, who, you know, sp we, we unite heaven and earth because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And we're, even though a lot of times we say stuck, in just being our normal quirky selves with all our neuroses and bad habits and well, it's just how it is. But it's really not how it is. How it really is is Christ who has been raised from the dead lives inside you, that the same spirit that raised him from the dead is living in you. There's a resurrection inside you. If you've been baptized, I'm so glad you're doing baptism. I believe in baptism. It's not just some ritual you go through, but it is like part and parcel of our salvation because in that point, there is a death to the body of sin and, and there is a new, you're, you go down one way and you come up another way and the Bible calls it newness of life. And so this, this is an assembly of new creation here. And this is the potential as we live our lives in humility and we, you know, we, we always think we're not anything special and that's true in one sense, but it's like because God uses humility to bring forth the exaltation of his name and even of our lives. So you were born again, not to survive, but to thrive. You know, you were born again not to just live normal lives and when you die, you go to heaven. That is really great, but you're, you're, you were born again to bring this new creation into this planet and every place you go, every word you say, when you touch someone, Jesus is touching them. Think about that. That's like, it's scary. You know, it's like, God, do I have to be that responsible? You know, and it, but it's like, what a privilege. So I, okay, that's just general stuff, but I think specifically for, for this group, we, you know, we think, well, how do you like your church? Oh, it's pretty good. Oh, maybe I'll try it. You know, we have sort of this restaurant um, mentality of, of churches and, hey, how was the sermon this week? Well, you know, I didn't quite get the, I like the, 
I like my steak a little more rare. You know, it's a little, I didn't like the sauce that much. But I'm telling you, what is happening here is actually just like when you were a child and you were in a family assuming that you had that experience, that, that you're being formed. And that's what's happening week after week. We come and we're formed into a, the people of God and he's doing signs and wonders through your lives every place you go. And when you walk into a room, he walks into the room with you. Not only do you have angels with you, you have God inside you. <laughs> Help us, Lord. <laughs> so God, just release your glory here today. Release faith here today. Raise us up, God. Get us out of just stinking thinking. God, give it, bring us into the mind of Christ that we would catch up with the reality that we've already been baptized into and, and get us out of that which we were delivered out of. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, well, that was an interesting way to say hi. Um, <laughs> so I have a different message this morning than I did last night. And uh, by the way, there's healing in the air here. This isn't a particular healing message, but if you were here last night, I'm gonna share this same testimony in, in this message. But I just felt like, hey, I'm just here. I get two shots at it, let's do two messages, okay. So this is a message on uh, that I just gave it a name because I gave it, nothing is impossible. And, and it's really about how do we live in a restructured reality? You know, that we were, we were one way and when we were born again, you know, behold, ever, the old is passed away and you're a new creation now. But we, you know, we kind of walk around with, dragging all this dead stuff along with us, and we, we don't want to do that. And by the way, this is uh, Easter Sunday if, if we were in an Orthodox church. So I, every Sunday's Resurrection Sunday, but, you know, this is, I figured this is good. So kind of the background on what I'm going to say is, you know, misery is pretty common in humanity. We look around, you know, and it's like, uh, you know, even people who have comfortable lives, people who are not starving to death, not in danger of, of being killed any day by, by crime or by terrorism or by war or by disease. Just find ways to be miserable. You ever met really poor people that are really happy? And they're not poor, they're rich because they're, they're living a joyful life. And you ever met like really wealthy people that are just flat out miserable, you know? And, and so it, it keeps, uh, you know, psychotherapists in business and all that stuff. Because, we, because what it, human misery is just a symptom of separation from God. We weren't created to live separated from God. And so when we're separated from God or and we don't, we don't find this ability to say thank you for everything, every breath, everything. Then we, we kind of descend into like, well, I didn't get my own way. I didn't get what I wanted. I'm disappointed in this. Boy, you really bummed me out with that. And, and we go around. Do you think that's a disease? I do. I think, I, I think it's pessimism. So 
Jesus is the cure for pessimism, and this is God's gift, you know. So now I've been, okay, that's the problem. What's the solution? Our, the solution is it's God's will that our souls would prosper. It's God's will that, that there, we would have in us the, the same mind that was in Christ, who even though he existed as God, he didn't consider it something he had to use for his own advantage. Or if you're a King James fan, he counted it not robbery. You know, but we're not quite sure what that means. But what I think the basic understanding is, it means I can let go of all that. I don't need to use it for my own advantage because I am who I am. And you are somebody that you may not even know, <laughs> but God knows every one of us. Isn't that great? <laughs> like we think we're one way and then he comes to us and says, I love Me, God, do you know what a wreck I am? Yeah, I love you. And I'm not gonna leave you a wreck if you'll follow me. <laughs> okay, so here we go. So pessimism is a symptom of separation from God. And what the result is that we tend to see the worst, the worst aspect of things. And, and with that, we believe that the worst will happen. Now, there's something that's actually, it sounds bad, but it might be good in its right application, is there's something called critical thinking where we're able to assess things and we see the things that are wrong, but when it's used positively, then we use that and God reveals to us how to make things right. You know, so these are very valuable people to have around you that can assess like, okay, here's the root of the problem. But they're not seeing like, therefore, everything's gonna go to hell in a handbasket. They're saying like, man, it, we, can, we can replace that with this, and this whole thing is going to fly. You know, and this is what, like, you were created to be creative. <laughs> you know, so you were created in the image of the creator. That you were created in the one that when he was done doing what he did, he looked at it all and said, this is very good. And so I just want to release that to you today. So we'll, we'll go through this. Um, if you turn to Isaiah 24, verse four, the, so we could also call pessimism is a symptom of the curse. And so this is why a pessimistic Christian is kind, of a, is kind of a contradiction in terms because we're people of hope. We have a living hope inside us, which means even if we get beat up, that hope is still alive. And, all right, so, um, but Isaiah, I love Isaiah. I'm just a big uh, lover of the, of the book of Isaiah in, in all its beauty. So Isaiah 24, Isaiah is describing the curse. He, the earth mourns and withers. In other words, the earth itself, creation has lost something that it's longing to have restored. If you, this will kind of send you to Romans chapter eight if you're thinking about it. Verse five, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. So we see, you know, environmental degradation, social upheaval and problems and stuff like that. Why does the earth lie defiled under its inhabitants? Because God created us to, to be a blessing to the earth, to serve the earth, 
to, to bring the earth into a flourishing state, to have dominion over it, which doesn't mean to beat it up. It means to bring it to its best and fullest potential. And so when we're selfish, the whole world suffers. Who wants to repent? Okay, so let's go to verse six. Therefore, a curse devours the earth and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. And so this is a, a really beautiful, like poetic statement of the problem. Is there a cure? If you go to the next chapter, we find the cure. Isaiah 25, verse six. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food at a feast of well-aged wine. And he goes on and describes all of these good things. And so here's Isaiah, in a sense, whether he saw it in precisely or not, he understood that God was going to make a feast for all people. And this feast that we have, that we've partaken of today, is the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's, it's true food, it's true drink, it's the bread that came down from heaven, to, and, it, 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 and on that mountain where he was crucified, he made a feast for all people that if we partake of it, it changes not only us as individuals, but all creation and changes the world. It'll change Albuquerque. It'll change New Mexico. It'll change North America. It'll change all of the world. All nations will be blessed. And when all nations are blessed, the earth will be blessed. It won't lie under a curse because of its inhabitants. Is that too spaced out or do you like that? Okay, Say so, um, and on this mountain, verse seven, if you skip over there, it says, he will swallow up the covering that is cast over all people. What is he talking about? He's talking about the curse. He's talking about the curse of sin and death. In Adam, we all die, but in Christ, we're all made alive. And, and so uh, it's described more, uh, more, Clearly in verse eight, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from his faces. So there, I mean, this one verse has phrases that are quoted in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about the resurrection and in, in the revelation of John talking about eternity. That, I mean, this is like God's plan. So don't be pessimistic. We're actually part of the answer to this curse. It's so good, he'll swallow up death forever. Now this is really meaningful to me because this last week was the 10 year anniversary, by the way, this, this week is also the 50 year anniversary of, of Anne and I as, as hippies seeking to keep our karma really good we were, and trying to find enlightenment through all kinds of you know, extreme so kind of Eastern practices of what we would eat. You know, we're trying to, to purify our bodies and, and get enlightenment and all this stuff. Some Christians helped us out and we ended up feeling like we just to, you know, balance the karmic scales of the universe, we needed to go to a Christian meeting and put an offering of $2 in the offering. And this was the bait that God uses to get us into some Jesus people meetings where, you know, when they started playing the guitars and singing, we felt something that we had been looking for. We didn't have language for it. We told our friends, man, this place is the best natural high. But in reality, what it was was the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus. He's enthroned on the praises of his people. We stepped onto that mountain where the covering of death was going to be removed, where we were being invited to the feast. And uh, 
Thank God we answered. But, that, but 10 years ago, so that was 50 years ago, golden anniversary, uh, 10 years ago, there was a young lady who grew up in our church. I baptized her. I remember baptizing her when she was about nine years old. And, I, and it took my breath away. I said, there's something holy and amazing on this young woman. She grew up, she became a, a bold missionary and a great worship leader. Well, 10 years ago, she was out She had uh, with, a, I think, an eight-week-old son and, and two daughters and her, and her husband who were older, and they were out for a walk, and she collapsed, and she basically died. She had double pulmonary embolisms the size of a man's thumb. They, you know, she coded over and over. I mean, she collapsed on the street, no pulse, nothing. Yeah, somebody in the house called 911. Someone who was looking out the window saw this young mother collapse, and uh, the father's overwhelmed with these little children and calls 911. The ambulance comes, takes them to the hospital. She codes over and over and over again. They can't, they can't get her resuscitated. They bring her in. They pump her full of, of the maximum level of blood thinners to no avail, they can't get her, they can't resuscitate her, they can't resuscitate her, and it just happened by the providence of God that the top thoracic surgeon in the whole mid, you know, multiple state region, mid-Atlantic region, happened to be there that morning with his OR team for to scheduling some, some open chest surgery, and the person didn't show up. And she came in, and, you know, it's this big hubbub. I mean, you know, this is drama. Here's a mom of an infant and two young children, and she just and she's like 30 years old, and she's, you know, dying. And so this surgeon did something very brave, knowing all the risks. She's maximum level of blood thinner. He cuts her open. And they find these embolisms and remove them. They didn't know what the problem was. And, uh, and so... Meanwhile, you know, the parents, Anne's, her mom called Anne, and she, she went to the hospital, and, and they're all like, oh, it's gonna be okay, because they didn't know how bad it was. But uh, one, one of our pastors got in, it arrived, every, we, eventually we all arrived, and we're there praying, but he got in the elevator, happened to be with the surgeon, and, and, he, and he was still in his scrubs, and he said, are you the surgeon just operated on the young woman? He goes, yeah. He said, how, how is she? He said, she survived. He said, oh, good. What? And, and his, this pastor's background was hospital administration, like he knew. He said, so what, what are the odds for her? He said, well, about two in one million that she'll live. And, and you know, and then um, she did live. She lived, 20, you know, if she lived, he said, if she makes it through 24 hours, she'll do better. So that she made the 24 hours where there's praying and, and claiming and fighting and warring. And uh, the next day we went there and I, there was this song, it's not coming to me right now, but we sang this song. She had been singing it. She was a powerful worship leader. We sang this song. She's in a coma and they said, well, you know, she's alive, but she may never come out of this coma. And, she, and when we're singing this song, a tear runs down her cheek. And we go, okay, she, her spirit, she's alive. Her spirit's responding, whether she's hearing us or not. So we're speaking life over her and declaring, and we're praying for her night and day and night and day. And then she wakes up from the coma in, a, in a, like two days. And, and then they said, well, you know, 
if, if she comes out of this coma, she'll be like a vegetable. I know that's not politically correct, but I don't like political correctness. So, you know, just deal with it. This is called freedom of speech, right? So they said she'll be a vegetable if she comes out of the coma. So she comes out of the coma and, uh, and she starts, you know, and people are, are talking to her and she's signaling and, you know, she's got all these tubes down her throat so she can't talk, but, but the, she's aware, you know, what's going on. And, uh, and so then they said, well, you know, if we can get the, you know, if she makes it through this, she'll never sing again because they had done a lot of emergency intubation. And, uh, and so she's singing. She, her, her voice is full of glory and power. And, uh, you know, I think, is it, aren't they, John and Tiffany are going to be here sometime, maybe with, with Mike and Liz later. You get, might get to meet her. Resurrection. I mean, there's resurrections going on. Just this last week, I got a newsletter from one of our missionaries. He's been my friend for like 20 years. His name's Marcus Young. It's a whole, like, multiple generation family history and pioneer mission. But he, he loves working in war zones. He has a ministry called AK-47. They rescue child soldiers. He grew up around warlords in the Golden Triangle of Thailand and Burma. And, uh, and, and so, he, you know, he's baptized these warlords. And the warlord says, oh, you know what? I'm getting convicted. I shouldn't have all these kids killing people. He says, here, you take them. He gave him 500 child soldiers, says, take them, educate them, train them to follow Jesus. So, so he does this all over the world now. That, that, that's how he got started with that particular thing. But he, so he loves being in war zones. He's in Mindanao, the southernmost island of of Philippines. And, uh, and they're in the very southern part, it's a real war zone with all these Islamic uh, radicals kill it, you know, and they're at war with each other, and that's where he's at home. He just goes into these places, and uh, and they and they have they plant these church groups, these little house groups called Love Your Enemy. That's the, the, what they call. Hey, come to our Love Your Enemy uh, meeting, you know. And so that's their thing. So in this, in just he just I just got this email from him, the, not this last week, but the week before, that they had had two resurrection of children in these villages and they both resulted in huge conversions of you know very anti Jesus muslim people that said well you know these you know you became a christian that's a curse on our village so of course your child died you know and the parents pray and god brings him, their son back to life another one this leader of a house group his granddaughter died she was sick and then she died and they're going, we can't let this happen. And his own wife was a Muslim and didn't like him, you know, like that he's leading this house group. And the mom of the girl was also a Muslim and didn't like it. But they said, okay, you can pray for the girl. So they brought all their Muslim relatives to the house meeting and they said, okay, if your God raises this child from the dead, we'll follow Jesus. We've decided, you know, so the contest was on and, and the little church, you know, the little five or 10 people, they're praying, they're praying their guts out, they're praying till they can't pray no more, you know, and it's just like, oh, okay, and then when they're done, the little girl pops up. And so I'm just saying, we're in this moment. And so here's another a resurrection testimony that just happened this month at Life Center, and I think we might have a slide here if, uh, there it is, okay. So here's the background of this 
story. There's a young couple in our church that really love Jesus. Uh, we've known them for probably 15 or 20 years. And, uh, you know, they met serving God on a mission team. And they were missionaries in Europe for a while. And they came back, you know, and, and just felt like God called them back. And they worked really hard. And somebody it got, gave them this great investment scheme. It had something to do with jewels, but it was a scam. It was a Ponzi scheme. They lost all their money, and they never got bitter. They were, they just said, well, what, you know, what can we do now? We've lost all our money. We don't have a house. We don't have, you know, and, and they said, well, what do we know how to do? And they said, well, I guess we could make cupcakes. And so it just happened to be, there used to be a TV show called Cupcake Wars. It was one of those reality things. So they were actually on Cupcake Wars, went all the way to the final thing, and they came in number two. You know, they didn't were number one, but they started a company that has become really successful. And now, I mean, while we're speaking, it's being franchised, and, it, the, um, and it's going to be huge. But their pain was all these years they've served the Lord, God's favor's been on them over and over and over again. Uh, and they, they uh, have never been able to conceive a child. It was a big pain. So we have this annual offering at Life Center called a First Fruits Offering. And there are, it's a whole long story. It's something God told me to do and I had to study about it, learn what it was. But it, basically it's an offering where where people have, have moved into the grace of giving that said, look, we're not, we're not after your money. We want you to know the grace of giving. And it, we teach on sowing seeds and, and our little, our favorite symbols, the sequoia seed, because it's so tiny and it grows into this giant tree. And that uh, there's all these miracles attached to it. People have had breakthroughs, marriages, uh, financial breakthroughs, debts canceled, jobs and better jobs, and all of these things have been realities, and the testimonies are pretty stunning. And so Jeff and Emily have been part of this. They've actually done this. You know, People like to do it, so it's not like we're trying to convince them, but they've done it, and they've seen breakthroughs and given testimonies before about their businesses and, and all, all these things during COVID, how they just prospered. And, and so... So this year, after the first fruits offering, we, the pastors always pray over these envelopes and we read what the people are believing for, like the harvest that they're targeting. This is what we say, it's a prophetic offering. You're just sowing seeds. And we always teach on the widow's might so that it's not just for people with lots of resources, for everybody and we see breakthroughs. So they, this year they sowed an extremely large gift and it was kind of like, whoa, you know. And then I, I look at their target, and it's very holy. It's not like, wow, good thing. You know, it's more like, whoo, the fear of God gets on you, you know? Because when people give, it's holy. You know, it's like, it's like every offering is a prayer that without words, you know, it's just this prayer. But we're, it's saying thank you. It's believing for the future and breakthrough. But this, so this is specific. The breakthrough that they were believing God for and they heard this amount to, and they, it was a child. They were like, oh God, oh God. So anyway, praying, believing, all this, it takes your breath away. I mean, you guys are way more holy than you realize. You know, <laughs> you know we think we're just doing church. God looks down and sees his children. He sees Christ being formed in you. You know, uh, there's, a, a, there's a song, Awake My, Awake My Soul, and sing uh, 
Brooke Lichterwood wrote it. I don't know if you've ever seen it here, but there's this line that says, um, you know, we see praise, God, we hear praise, God hears faith. You know, we, we, we just, you know, awake my soul and sing, you know, where stood a wall now stands away is one, one of my, it just makes me weep every time I hear it, so I, I play it on repeat. But the, uh, the, so we're looking at this going, God, you know, help them. So here's what happened. They had been getting some kind of fertility treatment. They had in vitro fertilization, which I, you know, I, can, I struggle with some of the implications of that, but I'm thankful God is a good God, you know. And so they, they, they implanted this embryo, and, the, and so we all know, and they're, they're excited about it, and we're praying for them, and they have to wait a few weeks before they test the hormone levels. And yes, you know, she's full of estrogen, and, and she's pregnant, you know. And uh, so we're rejoicing in that. It's wonderful. And then on Thursday, March I am getting a call from a foreign country on my, on my watch right now. It's probably somebody calling to tell me something. Okay, so I'll find out later. So we get this call that they're all excited. They're going for their sonogram, you know, like this is going to confirm it. So on Thursday, uh, March 31st, the, the left side panel there, is the initial sonogram, and that little thing at, at the, you can see in the bottom there, looks like Loch Ness Monster it, it, against the black. That's the little baby attached to the uterine wall, and there's a heartbeat, and they call, and we're just jumping up and down. Thank you, Jesus, you know, and because uh, and you don't know what's gonna happen, you know, and then, so everything's great, and then that night, we get a, a, a phone call, and they're in panic, and, uh, and they said, hey, Emily's been cramping and she's, she's bleeding and she, and she bled, she, you know, it's just devastating and they're terrified, it's a miscarriage, God, no, you know. And, and so we're crying and we're praying with them and this goes on and then, so Friday they go into this fertility clinic, they said, come in, we'll see what's going on. And, uh, and so the, the middle panel is the, the ultrasound of Friday, April 1st, and you can see that there's a womb and there's nothing in there. There's no heartbeat, there's no baby. And there's three doctors that are consoling Emily and, and uh, you know, just like, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's not the end of the world. There's hope, but we, they're very compassionate. This is their business and they're experts. And they said, yeah, we've, I mean, we're really sad to break this to you, but there's no baby in there. And, and so in the middle of all this, trauma and grief, Jeff kind of sneaks to the side. He makes a phone call to the church. He said, hey, would you just have the pastors pray for a miracle? You know, it looks like Emily's lost the baby. Pray for a miracle. And we get this and we're like, oh God, you know, God, how many know you can't do a miracle? You know, it's just like, God, you know, have mercy. We're weeping with those who weep and we're overwhelmed and we're like, oh man, God, you know, don't let this like be a you know wreck somebody's faith or something and so on Monday she's scheduled for a DNC procedure and so she goes in and they do another ultrasound just to you know see what's in there and make sure that that um, the doctors are, are doing the right thing and the third ultrasound on the on your right 
is the ultrasound of Monday, April 4th. And if you look at the bottom one, you can see the head, the profile of the face, and this baby who has a really strong heartbeat is twice as big as what was there on Thursday, five days earlier. And it, and the, the, the tech, this woman who is the ultrasound tech turns to Emily and says, she's just in shock. She, and Emily hasn't seen the scan yet. And she says, do you know people who pray? Emily said, yeah. I says, do you have people praying? She said, no, because they'd kept it private. And then Jeff says, well, actually, I called the church, just asked the pastors to pray. And the woman said, I've been doing this for 25 years. I've never seen anything like that. So now the doctors come in. They say, we have no medical explanation. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's like nothing is impossible. So I'm sharing this because I just feel like this is a sign. By the way, it's interesting. Friday being the first day, Saturday, Sunday, Anyway, somehow I think it might be the third day or something, but it, I don't know for sure. But it, and I know that's not baby Jesus in there, but I'm telling you, that the doctor said, we have no medical explanation for this. It's a miracle. And so I, I'm just in awe, and I'm, I'm just wondering, who is this child? You know, does, does he or she have the same DNA as the one that, miscarried or did God just put a whole new human being there without father, without mother, like Melchizedek? I don't know. But I'm just saying, could we just say all things are possible? And there may be things that you think I can never overcome this, but I'm telling you, all things are possible. That does not make any human sense. That is, I mean, that if you're an atheist, I just want to tell you, God did that. <laughs> Jesus did that. <laughs> okay, so now we'll get back to the sermon. Uh, the, uh, verse 9, Isaiah 25, 9. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Yes! Behold our God. I mean, that's what when we, you know, we hear testimonies and sometimes we only look at them with human eyes, but what we're actually seeing is we're seeing a glimpse of how good God is. Jesus, thank you. Okay, so what's the point of all this? The point of all this is that God has opened the door for us to live an abundant life. I won't go through every verse, but Psalm 118 uh, is is like one of the favorite, my favorite Psalms in the whole Bible, and it's quoted a number of times in the New Testament. It, it says, verse seven starts out, open to me the gates of righteousness, I will go through them. The gates of righteousness are open. Jesus is the gate. He's the door. We can come in and go out. And I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Verse 21, I will praise you. You have, you have answered me I, you, and have become my salvation. That word is Yeshua in Hebrew. 
verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus, this death and resurrection of Jesus is the, is the cornerstone, the first stone laid of the new creation that we're now living in. You know, we are now living stones being built. The stone the builders rejected has become the chief's cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Only God can raise the dead. Only God can put a baby, a big baby, in an empty womb. You know, like a, that, ah, this is the day the Lord has made. Verse 24, we will rejoice and be glad. We ought to shout that, huh? You know, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What day did the Lord make? He made, he made the first day of the week, the day that he's made. I mean, he's made every day. But here's something interesting. Jesus was crucified on the sixth day, carried, you know, carried uh, all the sin, dealt with the sin of, of mankind and the brokenness of creation into the grave, on the seventh day, the Shabbat, he was actually doing something. He was taking the, the keys of hell and death. And on the eighth day, which is the first day, eight, this is a new beginning, he rose from the dead. This is the day the Lord has made, the day that he rose from the dead and in him we all rise. This is the gospel. He died for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15. So this is the day the Lord has made. And then, then this, save now, I pray, O Lord. And in Hebrew, it's Hosanna, Hoshana. You know, this is what they cried out when Jesus, isn't it interesting? People were prophetically sensing the future, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this happened on that day. Do you know why, why Christians meet on Sunday instead of Friday, or instead of on, on Saturday, instead of Shabbat, is because it was the day the Lord raised from the dead. So contrary to, to you know, it wasn't something that, that got decided legally. It was a work day. You know, everybody went to work on Sunday. Saturday was Shabbat. Sunday was back to work. And the Christians would meet very early before they went to work, often in crypts, you know, in, in, around the tombs of the saints gone before, and they would have communion and sing and have a little, have, you know, some teaching because they were celebrating this is our new beginning. This is our new beginning. And it was only a few hundred years later under Emperor Constantine that Sunday was, was set apart as a holiday, a weekly holiday. But it's like, why do we meet on Sundays? We, we're not... Because it's not like Sunday is the new Sabbath, even though, I mean, if you've been taught that, I'm, I don't want to contradict any, anything that's been taught. But it actually, it was started because we're resurrection people. We're no longer Sabbath people just resting in what's been done, but we're actually, we're Monday people. I mean, we're not Monday, we're, we're Sunday people. We're first day people. We're the beginning. We're the first fruits of the new creation. Come on. Jesus. Okay, so all this is, I just want to bring us up to speed that we would have the mind of Christ. You know, that, that when he died, you know, he, he, we call his name Jesus because he saves his people from his sin. He's the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, you know, Agnus Dei, you know, 
qui tollet peccatum, I forget it all, but it's good in Latin, and if you're a Catholic, you may have heard this in the Mass at times if you went to a Latin Mass church. But, but here's what he did. He abolished the reign of death. This is uh, 2 Timothy 1.9. He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose. And grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the world or ages began. Verse 10, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Well, death is still there, but death doesn't do what it used to do. If you're in Christ, he, God did, he turned death inside out. And this is, you know, when he said it's finished, he, you know, it, on the cross, and then he gave up, you know, he, he gave up his spirit. He meant it's finished. I have brought things back to shalom. His last, if you, in Aramaic, which you may have been speaking, the, the last word was ha-ma-shalom. I, it's come back to peace. Mr. Lamb is, is the Aramaic version of that. But so he was, when he bowed his head, when he said it's finished, I mean, he might have just barely gotten the words out. And I'm, I always love, I'll watch the Passion of the Christ over and over and over again. And I always have to have a lot of Kleenex because it wipes me out every time to see what he died. But the point of his death was his resurrection. The point of his death was to carry away the sins of the world. The point of his resurrection was to release a new reality. This is what we're called to. So when he said it's finished, that was a shout of triumph. And, uh, and I love what, what he did. You know, as he died, he destroyed death. <laughs> and so this is, uh, St. John Chrysostom was a, a great early uh, church father and, and great preacher of the, of the fourth century but it, this is from his, his Paschal homily. As he dies, he destroys death. Let no one fear death. I just want to say that. Let no one fear death. If you have no fear of death, the enemy has no leverage on your life. Because, have no fear of death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He that, is taken, he that was taken by death has annihilated it. But he, it's still there, but it doesn't do what it was what, you know, what it was originally doing. By descending into hell, he made hell captive. Hell took a body and met God face to face. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took that which was seen and fell upon that which was unseen. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Christ is risen and you are overthrown. Christ is risen and the demons are fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life reigns. Christ is risen, and not one dead remains in the grave. For Christ, being risen from the dead, has become the first fruits of those to sleep. Who sleep? To Him be glory and dominion unto ages of ages. Amen. You know, so that was that was like it, it's a fun thing to do responsibly sometimes. But as a human, Jesus did what God could not do, which is die. He died in His humanity. You know. And as God, he did what only God could do. He turned death inside out, you know? And so 
So <laughs> it's like, so what used to be the penalty is transformed for us into a reward. It used to be a separation, it's transformed to us into a reunion. And Paul says, you know, it's better for me to die, to live as Christ, to die as gain. It's better for me to die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So for we have no fear of death, it's our reward. It's a reunion with, with Jesus, with God the Father, and with all the saints who've gone before. Whew. And it, it changes the way we live, and it changes the way we die. I, I, I was a little undone this morning. Some very dear friends of mine, they're in their 80s, but they, they, they live south of Washington, D.C., and they, they would drive to Life Center every week for years, and they're full of joy and glory, and this morning, Bonnie passed. And I, I just got, it, Bob wrote me, he says, Bonnie passed peacefully. <laughs> and I said, ah, and I'm crying, but I'm also rejoicing. And, uh, but it, you know, so we live in this world and, and that's part of it. But I'm telling you, for us to die is gain. So we wanna live in this post-resurrection reality. And I'm just going to, um, I'm looking at the time. How are we doing on time? We, do we have a couple minutes? Okay, I know the, the children don't know what time it is. I mean, they don't know there's preaching and that the parents need to stay, so I'm, I'm thoughtful of that. But I, in the post-resurrection encounters that Jesus had with, with his disciples, there's, all the, there's these stories, and you know, they're, they're all a little bit humorous. You know, like they're all like people had one impression, but something else was going on. But, you know, the, these, these are not random stories. They're selected by the Holy Spirit because they, they actually deal with human tendencies to not recognize what God has already done. And so it, it, here's one, one tendency is we accept immovable barriers. Here's Mark 16 too. Very early, the first day of the week, just after sunrise, the, the, they, the women, were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Because these are like really big stones, you know, like, and, and, uh, and, but then verse four says, but when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So often we get stuck because we know we can't do that. And then we look up and the stone is rolled away because God can move immovable barriers. Where stood a wall now stands away. You know, that's, that's the, uh, he makes seas into highways. We were singing it this morning, you know. I, I love all those kind of songs. They remind us of the truth. Here's the second one, is we, you know, so we tend to look for defeat and, we, and it doesn't exist anymore. The uh, Luke 24, verse five. In their fright, I mean, there's, there's a, a numerous angles that this is being reported from. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground because they had come to the tomb and they saw the stone was rolled away and they said, why do you look for the risen? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen Remember, and then they remembered his words. So they were looking for something that didn't exist. Their sorrow 
it, it was based in something that no longer existed. Isn't that wild? Like, these weren't stupid people. These stories aren't there, so we'd feel snarky and go like, ha ha, look how stupid they are. You know, and you know how it is. If you point at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at ourselves. But, um, but they're like, this, these are there because this is a tendency. God, we just break this off. We break off this tendency to get... St- to perceive immovable barriers. There is no immovable barrier in your assignment. The Lord is your shepherd. There's no lack in that relationship at all. It's restored to shalom. And, it, and we, God just deliver us from looking for things that no longer exist and bring us into the new creation. Here's another tendency, which we all have, I have, maybe some of you don't, I won't say we all, but many of us have this, is to panic. John 20, verse 20, verse two. Mary Magdalene is who the subject here, comes running to Simon Peter. She's gone to the empty tomb. Evidently, you know, this is a different encounter here. Came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. Like she was in panic. She said, they had come with spices. They were coming to dress up defeat, you know, to make it not smell so bad as it would. And, and they came on this mission, which was out of compassion and out of devotion and out of affection. But what they came to no longer existed. And when they saw it didn't exist, rather than going, hallelujah, they're, they're panicked, like, what happened? They took his body. And, uh, and so this goes on. I mean, with Mary further, we get stuck in trauma. We panic, and then the, this is really hard. We get stuck in trauma. You've been traumatized. Sometimes you see things you can't unsee. It keeps playing back in your mind. You've experienced things you can't. And I want to tell you, Jesus can break off trauma. He can break off trauma so it doesn't keep visiting you. He can set us free from panic so that instead of panicking, the peace of God comes on us and we just say, there must be something good going on here instead of something terrible. The, uh, so in verse 11, same chapter, John 20, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And at verse 15, and you know the story, Jesus comes up and, and he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Now he always knows the answers. He's, he's trying to get us to answer these questions. So why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll get him. She's just in trauma. She can't, Jesus is talking to her. She can't recognize Jesus. And, and and she's just saying, okay, tell me where you put him. I'm gonna go and deliver my spices and everything's gonna be okay. And then he speaks, her, he calls her name. He said to her, Mary. And as soon as he called her name, she recognized him, falls down and cries out, Rabboni, and begins to worship him. Everything changed. I just say, God, bring us to these encounters. Here's, here's the fifth Fifth human tendency that keeps us in old creation thinking instead of living in the reality of the fullness of our salvation, that we get disappointed. This is, this is my biggest temptation. Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. We've got, uh, we've got the two disciples walking along and uh, the, they're walking along. By the way, my friend uh, Mark Sharona is has a pretty good argument here that this was, um, this was 
a, a man and it was Uncle Cleo and Aunt Mary. It was one of the one of the women, and so it's never specified. There's the Cleopas is is named, but the other one is is remains unnamed. But anyway. So Jesus comes up, they're really sad, they're walking down the road, and he comes along to them in their discouragement and said, hey, what's up? And they, they go, ah, don't you know how bad it is? No, tell me. Well, are you the only one who doesn't know? Three days ago they killed him and we thought he was the one, and well, we're just so bummed out, we can't believe you don't know about it. And so, the, what is more, this is the third day since it took place, so it says by now, it's just impossible. Three days have gone by. They didn't know the resurrection had occurred, you know, and it's like, we get disappointed and God's doing something better. Then their eyes were opened, verse 31. They, you know, the, it's a great story. They're, they're, they get to this place and they say, hey, you know, he begins to open up the scriptures. He says, oh, you slow to believe, you know, like, and he opens up the scriptures beginning, you know, all through the Old, Old Testament scriptures. He's showing them the scriptures that are fulfilled in the life and death of Christ. And they get to where they're going. And, and he says, okay, see, and he acts like he's going on. But he knows what's going to happen. They go, no, come back, come back. And so he comes back. They sit down to have a meal. He takes the bread. He gives thanks and he breaks it and disappears. And they recognized him for a flash. Like, this is, God is funny, isn't he? But then they said, man, didn't our hearts burn? And I just say, God, deliver us from disappointment. Deliver us from disappointment, from just, like, quitting. Like, I have quit so many times. And thank God, God doesn't let us quit. He brings us back to a place where he reveals his faithfulness and his promise to us. Amen. And then the, the sixth one is this, this tendency that we want to survive. And, you know, because we feel like we're the next victims. So this is John 20, verse 19. The evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Now, this is pretty wild because they already have had, you know, the angels have already said he's not here, he's risen. You know, the, the women have come and, told them all about it and they thought they were idle tales. And you know, it's like we're slow to get out of our, our old way of thinking because they just figured they're next. You know, hey, they killed him, they're gonna come. Good. So that first day of the week, the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. This was the first home church meeting with the, 12, with the disciples, the 11 disciples of the Lamb, they're all in the room. They said, let's lock the doors, otherwise they'll kill us. <laughs> God set us free from fear. And Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Luke tells us they couldn't believe, they had so much joy, they couldn't actually believe it. You know, they were, they were too amazed. And then, and then verse 21, Jesus says again, he said it, he said peace, and now he says it again in verse 21, and he gives what's really the great commission. I want you to stand up, because I want to speak this over you, and there's power in this. This is John 20, 21, and Jesus said, peace be with you, shalom alechem. This is this is the ending of the Aaronic blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. These are good Jewish boys. They know 
you know, they know what they're hearing. He's, he's taking the ending where, you know, the Lord be gracious to you, make, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, turn his face toward you to hear your prayers, to give you favor, to protect you, all that. And may he put his peace upon you as you bear his name. And that's how the priests put the name of God on the people of Israel. And here's Jesus doing this. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. So I, I'd just like you to shift gears here. If, if you want, you can lift your hands. Because I, I feel like God has given me this authority to release shalom on you for your assignment. That there's nothing missing, nothing broken, everything you need. The Lord is your shepherd. Within that relationship, there is no lack. You have everything you need. Shalom Alechem. Peace be upon you for your business, for your family, for your ministry, for your relationships, for your finances, for your dreams, for the, these, these, these careers that you're pursuing, the training that you need. Peace be upon you. That there is protection and there is provision for everything God has called you to. Peace be upon you. Do you understand? He is giving them unqualified peace. We don't earn this peace. Peace be upon you. Shalom. Shalom. And even, I mean, as we're receiving shalom, there's healing. There's deliverance. There's wisdom. There's insight. There are, there are downloads from heaven for solving problems. Within shalom is all the prosperity you need to, to live the life you live, and there's blessing on you and your children forever. And then here comes the Great Commission. And he doesn't say all authority is given to me in this rendition of it, but he says this, as the Father has sent me, and he uses the apostolic word there, as the Father has sent me as the great apostle from heaven, so I'm sending you. And so this, we go out, we take it. I love, I love this presence, prayer, transformation, evangelism. When his peace is on you, this is encounter with God is part of transformation. Without it, you're not transformed. Shalom Alechem, as the Father has sent me. God sent us to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania in 1987. We were beat up and broken. We, I mean, we'd served God. We'd had all this great stuff in Northern California. In a season, we went through suffering. And you know, sometimes we go through suffering so that God can highly exalt us. And, but it doesn't feel like that because if we want to be exalted, we never will be. <laughs> I just wanted to be saved, you know. I just wanted my family to be healed. I just wanted to find out what God, why God brought us to Pennsylvania to punish us. And what I didn't know was he was planning to plant a seed that would transform a city that's become a massive apostolic city, not through us, but through relationships that we have. Randy Clark moved to our city in 2001 because of relationship that we had. 
And, and so when Randy moved to our city, our city instantly became an apostolic city. Like all these famous people were flying in and out of the city and it was really easy to get amazing guest speakers all the time, you know? And so, you know, but, but and it built. I mean, it wasn't just like that one thing, many, many things. Now there's like businesses that are prospering and flourishing, families that are amazing, our community, like I'm, I'm, I'm 70, 71 years old and I should be thinking about retiring and I am thinking about how to like stay refreshed and, and not get beat up and burnt out. But I'm telling you, we, every Sunday we're there, we pinch ourselves and we're just like, what has God done? It's awe-inspiring. It's like the fear of God, like we're crying and full of love at the same time because it's a holy thing that God has called you to. Shalom Alechem. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And so I'm just gonna say, the Father sent me to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, as beat up and broken and trying to figure out why I was being punished. But God sent me to bring transformation that has touched nations all around the world. And so in the same way he sent me, I'm sending you. Whatever condition you're in, you love Jesus, you're seeking Jesus, you're spending time with him and with his word, you're being transformed by continual encounters. He has a purpose and an assignment for every life here, and I'm sending you into that. So, and your main assignment is love God at all the time and love your neighbor as yourself, that's it. If you do all that, you're gonna fulfill your assignment. But I just pray, the blessing of God upon you. you, and I send you into your assignment, full of the peace of God, living in resurrection life. We're not living in, in our dead life, but living in his life. All things are possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Charles, you're amazing. Thank you so much for giving us that word and blessing us. I want to just Im invite our ministry team forward. Uh, if you're on the ministry team, please come forward. We want to, if, if you're here in this room, you want prayer, you want breakthrough, you need breakthrough, you want someone to stand with you, you need healing in your body, we want to pray with you. Um, other than that, bless you guys. Fellowship with one another, connect with one another, and we will see you next week, all right? Bless you so much. Thank you so much for coming, and talk to you later. <laughs>